Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And we're here today with each other. Woo-hoo! And a question, a listener slash student question. But first, what are you working on? Well, currently I'm working on giving you notes. And then I'm also mostly, I'm in a diffuse mode. <laughs> so I'm working on something, but I don't even know what it is. That's deep. Yeah. That is deep. That's that's the, uh, Annie Diller talks about how Octavio, Octavio Paz, or maybe he's quoting someone more ancient, said the poet is at work, hung a sign on his door that said the poet is work, at work while he napped. I think that's true. Yeah. You're writing poetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the back of my eyelids. All right. How about you? Well, in addition to getting your notes, I've just done this incredible, like, galloping marathon of hand editing my most recent draft and then typing in all those changes. And each time I do this, and I'm starting to sort of have a little bit of a system because I've done it maybe 45 times, uh, so that counts as a little Mm -hmm. bit of a pattern, is that I... You know, I do, I get notes, I start moving things around and making changes in the electronic version. And at some point I get to a point where I have to print it, print it, hand edit, and then go back to electronic and enter things. So I'm just in that process again. And um, it's very thrilling to get to swaths of things that don't need edits. Yeah. That's just the best. So there we go. Congratulations. Thank you. But So what is our listener question for today? Here it is. Our listener writes, does each scene's obstacle and outcome, I'm going to turn this way, does each scene's obstacle and outcome have to be related to the character flaw? I suspect the answer is yes, since the character's reaction to obstacles will always reflect the flaw. But I had a lot of trouble with that, and this is in a ex- an exercise we assigned to create a scene list or a step list, which we'll talk about. I had a lot of trouble with that, especially when all or most of the obstacles are exterior, as in wartime and life in a ghetto, and the goal is so often survival. Am I mistaken in thinking that's required? The the, the reflective I skipped a little, but reflection of the lope of the limiting belief required. So first, maybe before we jump into this. Talk about what a step list is so we get the... Well, in this context, I've asked our students to make a list of all the scenes in their novel. Or memoir. Or memoir. Or nonfiction. Or other book-length project um, to make it super clear to them what they are uh, going to write when they sit down. And we're moving in. So in Book in a Year, we have a planning phase and a drafting phase. And so we're actually at that transition moment where we're going from that planning into the drafting. Or revision. Or revision. And so what we've done is we've asked them to do sort of high-level planning, and the scene list is taking a lot of that high-level planning and making it really concrete. Here is a list of um, scenes that are going to be driving the entire story so that you can see on an outline level what kinds of scenes really propel your story forward? What kinds of scenes are actually really in connection with your character's limiting belief right. and that sort of thing? And we've talked about this before because I remember we talked about the why and why and, and mm-hmm. needing to put in like what would your book lose if it didn't have this and that yes. kind of thing. So that's this assignment. So now having completed the assignment, this question comes about the, you know. Does the limiting belief have to 
relate to the obstacle and outcome of each scene. By definition, it will relate to the outcome because the action your character takes will be defined by their worldview. And let's just say a couple things quickly. First of all, that what you've asked for is goal, obstacle, and outcome. Mm -hmm. Because we really limit them to like one pretty simple sentence. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want in it. Goal, obstacle, outcome. Right. And so you're saying... And so what, and the only reason a scene's going to be there is in a way to show how it presses on the limiting belief. I mean, other things can happen to people, mm-hmm. but they're not going to be relevant to the story. Like challenging and difficult things can happen, but they're not actually relevant to the story because the story is about the character changing. Right. Right. So, and that. I mean, that's and, the use and you make of story. There, you know, it's a very specific aspect of the character that is changing. It's not every aspect of the character. Right. So if your scenes, um, wander too far from being relevant to that aspect it starts to feel and i don't know that readers always have a sense that um oh they've gone off track but they do perhaps have a sense of lagging energy and i think that's one of the things you can kind of see it's like oh, i'm not sure how this relates to what's important to me as a reader i have a kind of slightly tangential but core question or right. related to the core of this, which is in, in something like, um, like say a television series where there's a roving or perhaps a roving main character. Roving? Well, that the, the, your, your identification might rove. Okay. The, the viewer's you have identification. A, you have an ensemble piece. Ensemble piece, which in is some a lot weeks, of In some weeks, it's one character. In other weeks, it's another character. Or even like, say, even just like, say, in Modern Family, we kind of follow... A story, B story, C story. Okay, so we're following... So we're moving. Like, we're not... When we're watching, you know, Jay and Gloria, we're, we're, we're not thinking about Phil and Claire's problem or whatever, right? We're, I mean, we are. We're thinking thematically. We're making thematic ties, but we're not... But, we're, you know, we have different... We have a different protagonist. Mm-hmm. So with a different... Perhaps a different limiting belief. Or maybe they all have the same limiting belief for that episode because I know that, again, there, there's a lot of thematic ties. I'm almost losing track of my question, though, which is... Um, just kind of about oh i don't know i lost it a little too much bit. coffee <laughs> so so phil has a different limiting belief than jay right and put into the same situation they would behave differently right so the obstacles that they would get are and how they would respond are different that doesn't mean you couldn't be looking at the same thematic idea for both characters but so i guess what i guess my question is we you could have in an ensemble piece scenes certain scenes that press on one character and other scenes that press on another as we shift protagonists mm-hmm. and that you're following multiple storylines. Right. Lines, and this this author is definitely doing multiple storylines right. for different characters. The trouble is one thing that Modern Family does really well is to keep those things thematically linked. Right. So I think one of the things Some people that people have even said it's overly didactic in its yes. level, which I know. Um, <laughs> so much of the world is up for grabs that it's nice to have an over-constructed place. Well, as long as the, the lesson is one I want to be taught, right? Yes. Hammer um, it home. Any hoodle. Um, so when you're working with multiple protagonists and they are going to have different pieces and so they're going to approach, um, the challenges differently. You and I face our challenges differently and so I guess just making sure that you are clear on the obstacles relationship to the theme 
and your characters continue to address those obstacles through their worldview accurately. I mean, I think one of the things is, and this is, comes up a lot in memoir or you know true life stories, is that even everything that's exciting and dramatic and challenging and awful doesn't belong in the story. Mm -hmm. So things seem like good story because like, ooh, there was an explosion or ooh, there was a loss or ooh, there was a super hard challenge or whatever, something mm -hmm. scary, something whatever. But it's only part of the story if that particular challenge pressed on the character's limiting belief or, you know, pushed or pushed our arc along. Right. And I think that's confusing because, again, when we're consuming the story, we are not necessarily we're, we're we're not attending to how each thing. I mean, we're I want to say that we're I want to say we're not attending to how each thing fits with the arc, but I actually think we on some level I think you may really not are. consciously be thinking about it but I think we have an emotional and that's what I'm saying right. an emotional drag moment when you're like I don't know why we're in this particular drawing room when right. you know Mrs. Crosby is totally over you know <laughs> what I mean I don't know I'm making up I'm making yeah, totally up random sort of PBS kinds of <laughs> yeah. programming but you do you know yeah. you're like you for every character that is a main character, and not all of your main characters are, when they go to address something, they are going to need to have a clear reason why that's happening in this story. And what's and that's what's so interesting is that, that the stakes end up always being really about the character and the character's struggle rather than about the drama of the external um, event, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's hard about really compelling external events is that they happen to so many people. Eddie Izzard has this joke, right, where we just can't really comprehend what it means that certain crazy dictators have killed millions of their own people. Like, we just can't comprehend it. And yet, if someone, you know, kills one person, we're like, oh my god, you're terrible. And if, you know, 10, you know, 20 people, you're sort of like, oh, you know, you're very prolific, right? And we'd shift our ideas about almost like the character of a person as it gets further away from the specificity of an individual. Mm -hmm. So when you are talking about, okay, all of these people are in a wartime environment, they're all going to deal with things differently, and it's all going to relate back to a central idea that you are wanting to explore. But if we as a reader don't connect with a specific person, like, you know, I think when we, I remember watching just horrible, horrible, horrible footage of the liberation. Oh, you took the Shoah class at UC Santa <laughs> where you sit for six hours and watch Yes. Documentaries of, yeah. And the thing that I still remember is not like the crowds of people, but when they were doing the mass grave footage and there were individuals, there were people and whose faces I can actually still recall seeing from that footage. Now, if someone tells me X number of people died, that doesn't impact me. But if someone tells me, well... <laughs> In the same way. Right, right. And so when you're doing something in those kinds of environments, they have to be, here's this specific person, here's their 
very limiting human self in extraordinary circumstances. And I think that if you don't trust your reader to grok pretty quickly how extraordinary those circumstances are, then you end up with repetition about how bad things are. Right, right. You're trying to show them. Mm-hmm. I, I have two thoughts, and one is um, the 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 way when you when you write about your kind of most shameful. This is only me secret. Mm-hmm. You end up connecting with everybody, right? Like right. that becomes the thing that people are like, oh. Yes. Me too. And you're like, really? Like I thought, like, how could, you know, how could this be? I mean, whatever it is, even, even, or not even, I mean, think of, I'm just thinking of wild, like not that many people have had their mothers die when they're young and then gone, gotten into heroin and then gone on a giant quest, you know, and yet it's all super like relatable in this mm-hmm. way. So when you go to your extremes and your privates and your, not your privates. <laughs> Oh my god, it's just coffee though. But anyway, your most private moments and your most secret, personal, like quirky moments, somehow those are the ones, again, that people can connect to. So there's something about that. Yes. That, and then... Um, <laughs> I mean, because one of the things I want to say and one of the things I am com- continued from that class that I continue to be struck by is there was this word to describe a person that you knew was not going to survive mm-hmm. as soon as they entered the camp. And it was like Musulman. And it meant that they had sort of given up. You mm. could see in those people. In that, and this is in the context of completely chaotic. Like, you couldn't guarantee that anybody was going to survive. So it wasn't like, you know, right. because you had the right attitude, you were going to survive. But you could tell that those people were probably, their bodies were going to shut down and they were going to die. In part because of how they saw things, right? Okay. And... And I don't ever want to imply, and this is, I just want to be super clear, I don't ever want to imply that in that context, like, the right attitude could have saved your life. <laughs> um, There's this amazing poem by mm-hmm. Irina Klepfitz mm-hmm. um, called um, something, well, anyway, it's, 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 it's Bashert, it's called Bashert, and it's... I wonder where yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> and it... And it, and there's the, you know, it's this poem is dedicated to those who survived because that's this repetition, mm-hmm. you know, and then at the end, then it switches to who didn't survive because, but the, the reasons both for the survivors and the non-survivors are so complex and oppositional, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because they always told the truth because they lied because they were, you know, scared and they hid because they weren't afraid to ask. I mean, it's just like, there's so many contradicting reasons why somebody survives, Absolutely. And that, or doesn't. And that is what's fascinating. I mean, that's back again to this theme of the specific and the individual. Mm -hmm. And that that's the only way to a lesson that we can all connect with. Right. So um, I think that was just like, that to me was probably a great, a clearer example of what I meant by a worldview. That um, there were some folks, and I, you know, the older I get, the more I think I probably would have been one of those people. In, you know, if I hadn't had kids or whatever, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think once people, and people did know after a certain point where they were headed. And um, so I think that... I don't know, though. Because, again, because I think there's this sort of, you know, so there's this sort of complexity. Like, you know, there's a difference between seeing the dark side and giving up. 
Despair, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I, I will need to sort of look that up again. I might be completely remembering it wrong because it was 20 years ago. But um, <laughs> anyway, the larger idea being bit. that we, we look at those things and we think about how people are still so very specific in every context. Like the same people who um, behave in one way in crushing in situations, in less crushing situations, might make similar choices, right? Because they, you know, it's okay if you do a little bit of a... Um, you know, misrepresentation, right? And then you get into a life or death situation. Well, that tool is the one you know. And so right. that's the one you're going to go to. I want to say, I'm, so I'm reading Fugitive Pieces by Ann Michaels. And um, this is, I guess, a little bit of a spoiler because it's just because it's a small, beautiful, poetic moment that happens later in the book. But anyway, the book's been out forever and it certainly wouldn't ruin the read, which is sort of like reading a lot of dense, complicated poetry. But um, there's a moment where this child of Holocaust survivors, they go out into the country for a vacation, which they've never done before. And it's really dark, right? Like at night. And his, he knows that his father had to walk like miles in the complete dark. And he's in his room, like terrified of the dark. And he forces himself to walk, you know, like a mile in the outside in the night without any light mm. um, to kind of, because he's wondering like, would he survive and all of that. And then he comes back and he, and he's still afraid of the dark in his room. And he makes himself do it like three times. But he's still afraid of the dark in his room. Like almost more so than when he's out there. I don't know. It's just mm. a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing that this whole thread... And actually, if you take a quick moment and you think about that worldview, that someone's making that choice. So in his world, for whatever reason, because I haven't read the book yet, but you um, will. I totally, totally will, will by, by tomorrow, tomorrow night. Um, but in his world, there's something that says it's not okay to sit with your fear in that way. There's a judgment. There's a thought. There's a belief about having that fear. Well, there's that even, he yeah. then pushes himself into action. Right. 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 And so my main point there is that when we look at these big events and we're like talk about the inciting incident or we talk about the the final battle. They don't have to be these Marvel Comics kinds of clashes. But you could possibly see how, and I don't know how old this character is, but you could possibly see like a 10-year-old choosing to walk until he wasn't afraid right. could be a final battle. Well, I also want to say that um, there, there, two things. First of all, you're pointing exactly where I want to go in terms of the not having to be a Marvel thing, but, so we'll come back there. But it's actually set up so his, his father gives him all these images and kind of the message is you can't be too young for these because mm. there were thousands of people who are younger than you. Mm. So I think that that limiting belief of like I can't sit with my fear is absolutely given to him. Like he has almost no right to fear, mm. right? And, mm -hmm. and, and that anyway, so I think that's definitely built in there in a certain way. And then there's even more revelations around that. Um, but circling back to the it's like Holocaust Marvel explosions. I mean, just big versus. This is going to be a weird podcast title. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's not do that one. <laughs> but here's what I want to say, because because I think you know I'm doing a lot of simplifying of my book, and in some ways it's scary because there's I mean I, 
in fact, when I look at my letter or whatever, you know, it's like the big, the hooky things are still in there. It's almost like one half a sentence that I have to change actually with all these things I'm cutting. But um, I think when you're kind of going towards the plotty uh, kind of juicy story, mm-hmm. you can overdo it, right? You, because, because, and Matt Bird articulates this really well somewhere in the, the, the Secrets of Story because with the idea that, you don't want the plot to be so complicated that there's not room for the character. Mm-hmm. Like you just, the plot really just has to be something that's big and strong enough to push against that character's limiting belief in a way that's going to. And then that goes back to your character. Mm-hmm. Right. So a different set of characters, like, um, I'm stuck in like a Holocaust literature right now. Let me now. just say this because we watched Blackish last night without mm-hmm. you, our family, and um, and they were making a choice between going to see you know Captain Justice or going to see Back of the Bus, the Rosa Parks story, and like there was a whole sort of they all like pretty much they all want to go see Captain Justice, but then like everybody in the Cineplex, including like all the other black families, are going to see Captain Justice, and so you know he Ray decides like we have to go see this, and he buys tickets for back of the bus and then but but while they're arguing about it he's like this this is a movie about you know how you have to stand up for what you believe in even if it's not the popular no and they're like that's what captain justice is about too like it's the same <laughs> theme <laughs> and so that i don't know that was a non-holocaust example of but go ahead that's okay okay um i was basically thinking about the different kinds of stories there are in terms of, uh, you know, there's a book, and I think it's called Alicia, My Story, and it's about a woman who survives the camps, but she's also spent a whole bunch of time, like, hiding her mother, and that was, like, her luxurious 11th year. And then, you know, at the end of the war, she's, like, 15 so because she's 15 now, really no reason not to start an orphanage <laughs> and take control of supporting other people. And, you know, and by the time she's 16, the orphanage is really going strongly. She's got international support for it. So she's just going to go found Israel. Right. <laughs> and so it's it's when you look at those characters, right? Like um, what character... When she's writing her memoir, she's a character who's going to respond to those things in a particular way. And ironically, at that age, her mother was a character that needed help to survive, mm-hmm. right? And it, there's nothing wrong with that, but those are two different characters, mm-hmm. right? And how they approach things. And um, I think that was just But see, if that of... was transposed to today, like she could just post a lot on Instagram instead of starting an orphanage. Right. <laughs> Okay, that was bitter. Um, anyway, so um, so in sum, yes, your events must press upon your character. Some characters low uh, limiting belief. And if you have multiple characters, you need to be clear on whose scene it is. Right, that's the underlying question, and how that scene relates to that person's story. And in a way, if you if you start with external, like let's say you're like, you know what, I really want to write about these external events that happened to mm-hmm. these people, um, but I don't, you know, and then you're fictionalizing it and creating characters, then you have to create characters who are going to respond in the in a particular way that creates the story that you want to create, 
you know, and I think people do this. I mean, I've, I've listened to podcasts and talked to <laughs> authors who, you know, who, who create, in fact, Barbara Kingsolver was talking about this. She has kind of a, a story she wants to tell a set of events. And then she goes and creates characters who will do what she needs them to do to make that story work. Right. So there's no point in creating characters who aren't going to do what you ask them to. Well, I mean, obviously different things happen, but, um, but you know, I think just to say you can go different directions and you can have whatever refusal to go different directions you want to have. But if you're starting with the external dramatic story, you have to, Create the characters that need that story. Exactly. All right. Well, it seems like it's time for... Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets, they steal. And so this week, Elizabeth, (laughs) what are you stealing? Well, here's what I want to take from Fugitive Pieces. Um, It is, like I said, a dense lyrical book. It is so layered in specific detail and juxtaposed specific detail that it feels very real. And I think that's a good reminder, you know, that, I mean, it's another kind of specificity, the specific, the way character is expressed through what people notice and think about and the kinds of topics they become passionate about and study and, you know, observe and collect and all of that, the, the objects they collect. So, and I keep, I mean, I keep doing that kind of mistaken thing, but nonetheless kind of irresistible thing of like looking for the the, biogra- the autobiography in it mm-hmm. because, you know, it's written by this woman who um, I don't think is old enough to be a survivor. And I keep thinking, you know, oh, she's the young wife. Oh, she's the, you know what I mean? And, and I, I haven't even read the acknowledgments yet. So, you know, but there's that part of me that is is kind of hunting for that. And the reason I'm hunting for it is because it's grounded in this incredible wealth of specificity mm-hmm. that is that either comes from kind of a genius generosity of listening and attending to other people, mm-hmm. um, maybe an incredible imagination combined with a kind of voracious uh, autodidactic attitude um, or self-knowledge, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm just like, who is this person? Where so again, what are from? you specifically stealing? I am specifically stealing, well, right now it's an awareness of the power of very specific layered detail. Um, Yeah, not just descriptive, but kind of fascination, interests, uh, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. all of those things, thoughts. Right. That aren't abstract and vague and emotional, but are, you know, about, I don't know. Cumulus clouds, or um, is that how you say it? Culminous cumulus. No, you're right. Cumulus clouds, or you know, specific kinds of botany, or whatever it is that it's you know. And that's what I think poetry does that really well. Like mm-hmm. kind of what what is captured in a specific term or specific field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, our school is uh, going more and more deeply into positive discipline. And positive discipline actually has this sheet of mistaken goals. And it really strikes me. It is completely a, a spreadsheet of character. Mm. Like flaw, limiting belief. Right. Limiting belief, but also, but less limiting belief and more, you know, strategy failure. So 
the underlying belief in positive discipline is that, you know, connection is the most important thing. And, and even when people are doing things that drive you up the effing wall, they are actually trying something else. To connect. And yes. So they give you this spreadsheet. And so they'll say, like, here's the behavior. And it might be unwarranted attention, right? And then they'll give you examples in this spreadsheet of the kinds of things people or children in this case do to achieve that attention. Uh, and then there's a piece where it's like the parents look at their own response to the behavior. And that's how you double check that the behavior is the one in the grid that your child is in fact engaging in. And then they have a column that is what I'm actually saying. What the child is actually What the saying. child is actually saying. And we often talk about subtext, right? Yeah. And so it seems to me a wealth of opportunity to look at something like this and think about your characters and have a very concrete set, set of guidelines. My character right now is trying to connect by this thing. And really what they're saying is something else. So that you could actually do a complete on-the-nose draft of your dialogue when you're ready and then go back and change it. But that this framework really gives you like the opportunity to say, like, how is my person acting? I love that. How is my other person responding? So then, okay, now I've got a clear uh, conflict and dynamic. And now I, you know, so it's just a, you know, if you're, if you're having trouble, it seems to me a great brainstorming tool. I don't think it's a. I love it. That's so. fantastic. Um, I have one announcement, I think, which is that I am going to New York and Woo! I'm going to be at Blue Stockings Bookstore um, introducing or in conversation with my wonderful student, Christine O'Brien, whose book Crave is out from St. Martin's Press. And so this is her event. And so mm -hmm. she is wonderful and the book is wonderful and it's going to be lots of fun and I'm going to be there. So anybody in New York should come and say hi. And everybody else should find it at their local independent bookseller. That is right. And get it for your friends and I mean, technically they have it on the big things too, but I'm just yeah, saying but, independent you know, bookseller to support that. Support booksellers and have a great opportunity to read. Yes. And give give books as your gifts for this holiday season. If you haven't already passed your holiday. If, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Hanukkah.